0: Welcome to season two of the Just for a Change podcast with me, Barry Patmulo, your guest host for today's episode. A bit about me and how I fit into the picture. I am a senior project manager in the Bertha Center's Innovative Finance team, and I'm passionate about innovative finance research and product development, especially where they create spaces for exciting collaborations and impact investing and finance for sustainable development. What blended finance comes down to? is finding the best financial approach to an existing challenge or problem, be that in the education, health, or any other sector in society. This is, once again, what the Bertha Center is all about, finding innovative solutions to address systemic problems. So what does that mean in reality? Well, perhaps an example from education will give this some context. Knowledge is power, they say. So if we want to empower the next generation, we need to make sure they continue to get the necessary education. Across the board, the demand for education is increasing, particularly in African and other global South countries. Though this is a reality, the public education sector faces some challenges, despite considerable resources and energy being deployed in this space. In terms of equitable access to quality to education, we still aren't where we hope to be in 2022. In addition, education organizations used to be able to rely on grants, but unfortunately that's not always a given. It's clear that innovative approaches are needed, and one such approach is blended finance. Perhaps a new term for some of our listeners, blended finance can be defined as the strategic use of development finance and philanthropic funds to mobilize private capital flows to emerging and frontier markets. But for a bit more context, let's quickly rewind to 2014. Blended Finance emerged following the work of the Redesigning Development Finance Initiative, which was established by the Organization for Economic Cooperation Development and the World Economic Forum. Their goal? To explore options for expanding private investment in developing countries through risk mitigation and concessional finance. In the past, there used to be a lot of aid for development and finance was more input or activity-based. Recently, however, there has been a shift towards more outcomes-based financing where people want to fund success or outcomes. This gave a push into more interesting and innovative financing instruments, such as impact bonds, for example. Now we're entering a phase where we're looking into activity-based as well as results-based financing. As blended finance moves more into the spotlight, there has been a rapid growth in diverse innovative tools and practices. As approaches have diversified, guidance on which instrument to use and when has not followed at the same pace. That's why the Bertha Center recently partnered with the Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth at the University of Zurich, as well as Roots of Impact on the project, blended finance, when to use which instrument. This was made possible by funding from the UBS Optimus Foundation. On this episode, we have some amazing guests that we'll be hearing more from on the topic of blended finance and the various instruments. On that note, let me introduce them to you. Han Ferheyen is the Managing Director at Cordaid Investment Management. Cordaid has been investing in positive social impact for the last 25 years with a focus on fragile markets. Mandy Jayakoti is a Project Manager on the Green Outcomes Fund, where she coordinates the knowledge management function of the fund. And lastly, we have Teun Kwan, Research Lead of Blended Finance at the Center for Sustainable Finance and Private Wealth at the University of Zurich. Teun is a pracademic with a focus on catalytic capital. Welcome everyone. Great to have you on the show. Han, let's start with you. We touched a bit on the definition of blended finance, but why is this something that interests private investors?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Barry. Well, in traditional markets, risk and return go hand in hand, so the higher the risk, the higher the financial return, but in uh, development finance, so in emerging markets and in fragile context, that is definitely not the case. The higher the risk, the lower the return. And that is simply driven by the high country risk because there's war, uh, there's poverty, uh, there's scarcity. And uh, blended finance helps to overcome that uh, risk return issue so it enables investors to, despite of the high risk, to create a decent return next to a beautiful impact. And that can be access to finance, access to energy, job creation whatsoever.
0: Thank you, Hans. So it's lowering the level of, of risk, but then also bringing in this impact angle. So with that in mind, Teun why is blended finance beneficial in the development sector?
2: Blended finance is particularly important in the development sector because we have this big financing gap between what we want to achieve in terms of sustainable development goals and how much money we need to finance all of that. And we don't have enough currently. So that's been identified by the UN, which means that development capital and philanthropic capital needs to be either bigger or smarter. And um, to be bigger, you need to find new sources of capital. Uh, To be smarter, you need to be more efficient in saying paying less for a more impact. And this can all happen through either blending within a transaction or blending over time using your development capital.
0: Thank you, Tayun. And that's something that we've been um, looking at in a recent white paper that we wrote together. Can you tell us a little bit more about that white paper And the research process um, that it went through?
2: Blended finance is generally a super hot topic among development actors and there is always this call oh we need more research and we need more frameworks that guide our decisions and we've done an extensive research whether something like this already exists and the thing we've noticed most is that first of all a lot of frameworks stop at being frameworks and are not very usable for for practitioners so we deliberately wanted to bring in more of a practitioner lens and be very uh, close to practice second point that we saw missing was that it had a tendency to focus on large-scale infrastructure projects um, as opposed to financing entrepreneurial solutions So we wanted to also get really close to the entrepreneur who's being financed at the end of the chain. And so these two elements, being close to practice and being close to entrepreneurs, were the two different focus areas with our research project, which brought us all together, University of Zurich, more from academia, let's say, and Bertha Center that has this extensive knowledge of being practice-oriented and being close to the entrepreneurs and actually having Roots of Impact, uh, who was a practice organization and the three of us all being in a happy um, marriage.
0: And then just focusing on the blended finance approaches identified through the course of the research, what were they? Can you give us a bit of an overview?
2: Sure. I think if I would list all instruments, it would take us way too long. But just to give a few examples, right? I mentioned before that you needed to crowd in certain Private capital and usually instruments such as first loss capital or guarantee, or some blended finance approaches that are quite popular that would do these things. On the other hand, there are also other, um, more let's say, innovative approaches such as impact bonds or social impact incentives that would incentivize certain impacts and pay, so to speak, for that impact that would um, lock in the mission and make it more efficient so you get more bang for the buck in a way because you would deploy a certain amount of capital and get outsized impact due to that so we looked into both sides of lending
0: thank you Tune. and we'll circle back on that in a little bit uh but back to mandy and han can you tell us a little bit about your funds and the and the sustainable development goals they align with mandy let's please start with you
3: thank you barry Um, The Green Outcomes Fund is a three-year pilot, which was started in 2020, probably not the best time for a fund to start. Nevertheless, um, it aims to incentivize intermediaries or uh, local fund managers. In in the Green Outcomes Fund, we refer to them as catalytic finance partners, and we aim to develop new approaches and financing models targeted at high potential, small, micro um, and medium enterprises operating in South Africa's green economy. Um, The funding potential could align with with all of the sustainable development goals, depending on the small, micro, uh, medium enterprise supported through the intermediaries. Currently, majority of the projects funded through the facility align to Goal 6, which is clean water and sanitation, Goal 7, which is affordable and clean energy, Goal 8, which is decent work and economic growth, and Goal 12, which is responsible consumption and production.
1: Yeah, we uh, we just launched the West Africa Bright Future Fund, and that focuses on four of the most fragile countries in West Africa. So, Burkina Faso, Sierra Leone, Mali, and Guinea. And just to give you a picture, three out of four countries have a coup d'etat at this very moment, and people are really poor and unemployed. But we have found out that there are many uh, relatively small organizations that do create decent jobs. And by creating decent jobs, they build sustainable livelihoods. And that's actually what we're aiming for with the West Africa Bright Future Fund. So supporting uh, local enterprises, helping them scale and helping them create decent jobs. That is ultimately the aim of the, uh, of the fund. And we focus specifically on youth and women uh, because they need really some extra help in that uh, region.
0: All right. Thank you, Han. Mandy, how do you apply blended finance in the context of the Green Outcomes Fund?
3: Um, So it's interesting looking at the research done by the Bertha Center and the University of Zurich. Uh, In my mind, it it straddles two clusters, and it's the first cluster, which is your your technical assistance and your grant, as well as your outcomes-based funding. Uh, what the Green Outcome Fund does is it blends concessionary funding with private capital. And this enables participants to establish opportunities for the SMMEs uh, funding through the, uh, the CFPs, which is the Catalytic Finance Partners.
0: Coming back to you, Han, you mentioned that your key beneficiaries include women and youth. Can you give us a picture of the impact that you're attempting to create for them? So when we think about this on... Uh, On a regional level, almost, what is the impact that Cordaid Investment Managers is trying to drive in the areas that it works in?
1: Yeah, ultimately, we try to uh, contribute to creating decent jobs. So that is what drives us, and then specifically for women and youth. But there are many side effects. For example, we invest in uh, companies that are active in clean energy. Uh, and next to creating decent jobs for these target groups, you also provide access to uh, to energy. And that is, particularly in rural areas, really an important thing for uh, for these uh, livelihoods.
0: Thank you. And to you, back to you. Based on the research, what are some of the key things to keep in mind when choosing the most
1: suitable approach?
2: So... In our first report, we laid out 12 key questions that anyone can use and go through to identify or clear their thoughts, sort of before deciding on a certain approach. Um, What I found interesting in general is that people who are setting up a transaction were perhaps not as clear about their primary motivation. So some people would say, hey, we want to crowd in more capital, but would then use instruments or approaches that were not very effective in crowding in capital or investing in very early stage companies, for instance, with first loss capital um, in the hopes of drawing in commercial capital. But commercial capital usually doesn't have much interest, even if it's de-risked to invest in super early stage companies because they don't have a financial track record. So it's still too risky for them, things like that. So being very clear about your primary motivation for me um, seemed like a really good way to start. And then we have a upcoming report or upcoming tool that we want to set up that provides a more granular and detailed guideline or step by step guideline that would help you. Okay. Once you have your primary motivation and your theory of change or your investment thesis in place, what else can you add Uh, what else should you think about and there were two things that were really missing for me of that we've heard from practitioners and you know Han your organization being an exception because we thought it was a really good example that does it well was actually think about the enterprise and what they need in terms of capital and not what do we as an investor want to deploy and then the second part was okay, what is the end beneficiary or the end impact going to look like, and how can we then cater this back into the design of the transaction to make sure that this impact happens was actually not considered a lot because probably a lot of these capital providers sit very high level in in Bern in amsterdam um in the haag and they're a bit too removed to think until the very end goal how the impact is going to look like in a very specific way.
0: A very interesting take there, Thayun. Han and Mandy, what, what are your thoughts on that? Can you link that to the rationale you used to choose approaches on your fund? Um, Han, let's start
1: with you. Yeah, I think Tian is really making an important point. Um, so it starts it really understanding the market in which we invest. And quite a lot of impact investors uh, work from the United States or work from Europe. But in order to be successful and to really support local economies, you need to have feet on the ground. So, for example, in West Africa, we do have local investment managers in in Freetown, in Bamako, in Ouagadougou, uh, that on a monthly basis visit the enterprises that we support. and, and, And consequently, they know the local context and they know the needs of the enterprise and and can truly support that. So that is one of the lessons that we have learned. Proximity, have your feet on the ground in order to support those enterprises. Thank you. Mandy, what are your thoughts?
3: I agree uh, with Han and Tayun. I think um, through your research in the report that you guys presented, uh, Barry, uh, what came out quite critical was when choosing the instruments, their key considerations. And so that was quite well outlined in the report. And some of that was considerations are you know, understanding the organization and investing context, uh, the purpose of the transaction and the resources available. These are all key in developing a solid model and understanding that, you know, there are going to be tweaks that would happen to the model and um, you should be open to that also.
0: Thank you, Mandy. And I think that's a good segue to you, Tayun, and the 12 questions that you identified that can help practitioners as they select financing approaches. Could you give us an overview of those?
2: Yeah, so the the 12 questions we identified, we bundled them up into five themes. One is the organizational context, um, second purpose of the transaction, third investee context, four cost and resources, five risk and return. One element that was oftentimes, I mean, there are frameworks out there that help you guide your decision making and choosing certain approaches. So we're not the first one doing this, but what I find unique about our approach is that it's quite holistic and human centric in a way. So it does have a certain logic related to cost and resources, risk and return, and so on and so forth. But we added the layer of the human part, which organization is it that is trying to deploy this capital? Because this actually, at the end of the day, matters a lot, realistically speaking. And for instance, as a foundation, perhaps in certain jurisdictions, you'd find it difficult to deploy equity, even if equity is really what is necessary on the ground, things like that. And these things matter that go beyond just the logical framework. So I think that the organizational context is one big sector that we have identified as relevant that is included in the framework that we haven't seen in any other framework.
0: I'd like to kind of move over to Han and Han has obviously launched a relatively new fund. So with the West Africa Bright Future Fund achieving first close last year, Han. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what Tiyun just outlined in terms of the process. And if you think that that mirrors your experience or approach in setting up a, a new fund of the nature of the West Africa Bright
1: Future. Allow me Barry to first sketch Zoom out and sketch uh, a bit the historical landscape because in the, in the past two decades, microfinance came up. And in the meantime, it has become a mature business and uh, even a sustainable business. So you can make good money in microfinance. And in the fragile context in which we are investing, uh, also big corporates do have access to finance. But there's a gap which we call the missing middle. Uh, these are typically growing enterprises, which we call small and medium-sized enterprises, SMEs, and they don't have access to finance. Uh, there is hardly a local market. If you want to have a loan as an entrepreneur in these uh, contexts, uh, then uh, the interest rates are really high and the collateral that are needed are immense. But they do contribute to economic development. So it's important to show that uh, serving these enterprises serving the missing middle is a sustainable business model and that's actually what we have been doing in, uh, in the past decades, in the past 25 years and we are trying to prove with the West Africa Bright Future Fund that it's a sustainable business um, uh, and for that reason we crowd in external investors that get a decent return next to a beautiful impact uh, economic development in that uh, in that area. Ultimately, we want to prove that uh, serving enterprises in these markets, providing them access to finance is a sustainable business model. And uh, we get a lot of support from our uh, our partners. So we have a first loss investor on board from USAID. There's a credit guarantee from the Development Finance Corporation in the United States. And based on their support, we are able to attract External investors that's, that do get some return next to that, that beautiful impact
0: thank you Han and Teun has kind of mentioned the influence of context on the choice of instrument in a sense. I think that our listeners would be quite interested to hear what is what is the unique point um, that you 're addressing in West Africa, so in other words, is there a unique approach that that is required in that geography versus others? That you've seen
1: yeah in west africa there are hardly there's hardly any international lender simply because the risk is too high um, and with that structure of the first loss and the credit guarantee we are able to invest and uh, scale our operations over there um, and maybe we're simply doers so we like doing things and uh, set things in in motion and what i like about the research project is that uh, there's also a scientific approach and we can learn from that. Um, and bringing these words together, so uh, uh, trial and error versus uh, science, I think that can have an immense effect on the industry in total.
0: Thank you so much, Han. And I'd like to kind of conclude by just getting a, a sense of the projects or enterprises that that your respective funds have worked with. So how has blending Help them along their journey, and how do you think they might describe the value of your fund to others? So I'll start with Mandy, and then circle back to you, Han.
3: Thanks, Barry. Um, I think there's two types of beneficiaries for the Green Outcomes Fund. The primary beneficiary would be the intermediaries, which who are critical because they form the nexus between the supply and demand, Uh, and they are, uh, you know, they develop this, the, the ecosystem in which they we operate, you know, in a large way. Um, and what the fund aimed to do was um, to try to incentivize movement in a specific direction. And this was basically to invest more into SMEs, uh, you know, the uptake of it in, in South Africa's green economy. Um, it also encouraged the uptake of verifiable green uh, metrics across the local investing Industry, it also developed capacity among the CFPs because what we found is that you know with um, the green economy there's certain nuances that come in that uh, normal funds probably don't know how to handle. And one such um, nuance might be the rigorous reporting requirement which we we do have on the green outcomes fund and how to handle this and is it worthwhile kind of um, spending that money on these. So what happened was with the blended finance approach we used, um, the jobs fund came in as well as uh, the Rand Rand Merchant Bank, which formed the catalytic part of the financing, and they financed that kind of uh, area of the the fund. I think also uh, what it does and what we found that it supports price discovery on the delivery of uh, green outcomes which is very important because currently the fund uh, in this pilot phase is looking at jobs because jobs fund is financing it. And um, it is one of those areas that is easy to kind of um, understand what the pricing of jobs is. So what we're looking forward to doing in the next iteration is trying to understand the pricing of outcomes and how that works within our model. Um, the second beneficiaries are the SMMEs who um, the activities wouldn't be feasible without uh, the support of gov through the intermediary. So, um, I think there is definitely value. What we're trying to understand is how we um, figure out the ecosystem and support the ecosystem um, in understanding what's happening and moving forward in a positive and uh, way that everybody is moving the right direction.
0: Thank you, Mandy. Just just to double tap on that. So, could you give us an example of that? type of SMME that might get funded through the Green Outcomes Fund? What what are they doing, where they're working, etc.?
3: So, there's different incentives, and obviously, we're looking at jobs, but one would, and I I won't give you the name, uh, but one of the SMEs would look at, um, for instance, solar power in rural areas, or water purification um, in areas where um, there's not a uh, a lot of water that is is clean. Um, so those are the kind of angles we look at. And some SMEs are easier to support because their models make sense. Um, and I think this all comes through um, as you go through the project.
0: All right. Thank you, Mandy. Uh, Han, over to you.
1: And maybe it's good to understand. So we invest in these four very fragile uh, countries in West Africa. And we focus on three sectors, agriculture, waste management, and clean energy. And we have selected these three sectors uh, because next to job creation, they create a lot of jobs and are quite labor intense. It has many positive side effects. For example, uh, there's hardly any waste collection in a country like Mali. So it has also a social function next to job creation to collect waste. It keeps the cities cleaner, basically. One of my favorite investees is uh, is Easy Solar. We uh, supported them with a the first loan some five or six years ago, and that was really a starting company at that time, with the idea to provide provide solar home systems in rural areas in Sierra Leone, and basically. Everyone is off the grid uh, and doesn't have any uh, access to electricity over there. We supported them with some technical assistance, provided a second loan and a third loan. Uh, So actually we grew with them and they create a lot of positive impact. So uh, job creation, uh, access to energy, it has positive health effects and also positive, uh, let's say, social effects because you don't need to... spend so much time in collecting uh, woods to have uh, a fire. It's only possible to serve these kinds of companies if you can somehow mitigate the risk, because the risk is pretty high over there. And there, the blended model come in. Uh, So there are a few instruments that we're using. It's technical assistance, supporting them with, uh, for example, structuring their organization, with the go- governance of the organizations, with uh, supporting them with marketing, but also the first loss investment and the credit guarantee that we got from USAID and the DFC enables us to make a decent return and to also welcome third parties and to scale up in, in the region. So I think from their perspective, we have supported them for a long time and are a true partner. And we have enabled them to bring in external capital. And that is basically a model that we're aiming for. So we want to be the first international lender to most of our investees. And once they have matured a bit, then we try to bring in external investors as well to enable them to further grow and create more jobs even.
0: Thank you so much, to Tayun, Han, and Mandy, for your fascinating insights on blended finance. Um, looking forward to seeing all the amazing things that your respective
1: projects do um, in the coming years.
3: Thank you, Barry.
1: Yeah, thanks, Barry. And thanks, Dayuna, uh, and Mandy. I really hope that uh, the, the Green Outcomes Fund and the research uh, can be a source of impra- inspiration for, for many impact investors.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, guys. It was really lovely chatting.
0: It's really exciting to witness the impact benefits of an innovative finance solution such as blended finance in the development sector, but at the same time, it's crucial to know when to use which blended finance tool for maximum impact and successful development outcomes. If you want to know more about blended finance and this white paper on selecting the best blending tool, be sure to have a look at the show notes. Our hope is that our research will guide and streamline the decision-making process for practitioners. Thank you for tuning in to season two of the Just for a Change podcast, powered by the Birth Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you're curious about what innovation is happening in Africa and the Global South, and who the movers and shakers behind these initiatives are, then make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our
1: upcoming episodes.